Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about America manipulated the Trayvon hoax, Trayvon and a nation torn apart, Kavanaugh again, Redux, and on Minnesota hustled equality, not forced equity. And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello, welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Hollywood film director Joel Gilbert aired today in Washington, D.C., a brand new documentary film called The Trayvon Hoax. This aired in Washington today at the National Press Club at one o'clock Eastern. And I'm gonna tell you the tiniest bit about it and then let, I want you to hear a clip, that, a bit of the trailer that he put out has been out for the last few weeks. The short story is that this playwright actually began looking into the Trayvon Martin shooting, killing in February of 2012, came up with the most shocking fraud played on the American people, played on the courts, that and, and un, until he did his investigation, very few people in America knew. And here, the very wonderful Matt has available, this is a, a portion of the trailer to the new film, The Trayvon Hoax. My message is to the parents of Trayvon Martin. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. The shooting death of Trayvon Martin was ground zero for racial division in America. Trayvon Martin was killed for wearing a hoodie. Uh, quite frankly. I decided to produce a film on how the case affects American politics to this day. It had started as a self-defense case, but then, out of the blue, they found Trayvon's girlfriend. She is a minor child. This phone witness led to the most racially divisive trial since OJ. The girlfriend had written Trayvon's mother a letter. I put it in a box. Did you sign it at the bottom? Yes. What name did you use? Diamond Eugene. My investigation started with Trayvon's 750-page cell phone records. I made a shocking discovery. Trayvon did have a girlfriend named Diamond Eugene, but she wasn't the witness at the trial. To understand what really happened, I knew I had to find the real diamond. I found a tape where Rachel confessed to prosecutors. Real guilty. Why do you feel real guilty? I ain't know about Huh? I ain't know about it. And then, finally, I found Trayvon's real girlfriend, Diamond Eugene. I was then able to reconstruct the shocking story of what really happened the month before and after the shooting. I used forensic handwriting analysis and even DNA to confirm what I had uncovered, that Diamond was switched for a fake witness in a murder trial in the most stunning hoax in American judicial history, a hoax whose consequences have been tragic beyond anyone's imagination. In telling this story, my hope is to show how politicians and the media have pulled us apart when our shared aspirations have always been to come together as one nation. Folks, that again is a trailer to a brand new film out today by Hollywood film director Joel Gilbert, played in Washington for the first time this morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, at the National Press Club. 
In this first five today, I want to make just a couple more points about the particular fraud and then talk a bit in the, for much of that show about what this hoax did to America, how deeply harmful it was. To make really clear, if you, don't, if you didn't grasp the significance of this, there was, no, there was no decision to engage in prosecution of George Zimmerman, who was the man who shot and killed Trayvon Martin. They could not find evidence to back up any reason to even prosecute George Zimmerman because his self-defense description of what happened held up. It, there was no reason to challenge it. The whole self-defense thing that Zimmerman uh, was being pinned down by Trayvon Martin and Trayvon Martin was slamming Zimmerman's head into the pavement. He got blood in the back of his head. And he, Zimmerman, thought that Trayvon Martin was going for Zimmerman's gun. So Zimmerman got a hold of it first and shot and killed Trayvon Martin. That would, those facts fit all of the evidence the prosecutors had. What they didn't have is the girlfriend with whom Trayvon was supposedly speaking on the phone at the time this incident got started. When prosecutors looked into finding this girlfriend, they actually found her. You'll find when says, I've actually ordered the book and the full film, but they actually found her and she, the real girlfriend, Diamond Eugene, was unwilling to cooperate with the prosecutors. I'm going to make a guess that she was unwilling to go along with the story the prosecutors had cooked up, unwilling to go along with the narrative, so she wouldn't testify, wouldn't do it, wouldn't cooperate. So some people involved in this mission to get George Zimmerman, to bring about an actual prosecution of George Zimmerman in the Trayvon Martin shooting, they literally tracked down and created a false witness. They got someone to sit on that stand, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and she was not Trayvon Martin's girlfriend. She was just a person they found willing, I'm going to guess for some payment of money, but I don't know that, willing to give the testimony the prosecutors wanted in their best effort to get a conviction. It is now only because of one intrepid investigator, this reporter, come to light for all of America to see. Just focusing and wrapping up my first five pretty quickly here, just focusing on that particular element, I want to point out all the players who had to know this fraud occurred and ask you to think about why in the world, why would a prosecutor's office who had no evidence that justified prosecution of George Zimmerman be complicit or maybe even being the instigator in finding this false witness who came forward as Trayvon Martin's girlfriend. Because when you do that, when you're a prosecutor and you know the person you're putting on the stand is lying, is going to commit perjury, you, the prosecutor, are guilty of the felony of suborning perjury. That is a crime. You are not allowed as a lawyer to put someone on the stand you know is going to lie. So assuming the prosecutors realized that the woman they were talking to was not Eugene Diamond, or Eugenie Diamond, but was instead this fake person, this, this just actress, those prosecutors all were complicit in suborning perjury, as was the defense counsel. I mean, somebody involved found this woman, talked her into pretending to be Trayvon's girlfriend, and allowed her to get on the witness stand and lie. The consequence of this, this is just astonishing, astonishing, 
The consequence of this is that because the trial occurred and the uh, not guilty verdict was issued, we had literally years of damage to America's culture and fabric, years of damage to race relations. I'm gonna say something else about this, putting a fake witness on the stand. Who knows how far the, knowledge, the circle of knowledge goes? Did the federal prosecutors, the FBI, looked into this case for two years after the Florida state jury acquitted Zimmerman. So Trevor Martin was killed February 26, 2012. Zimmerman was acquitted July of 2013. As of February 2015, the FBI announced they simply could not find any basis to prosecute George Zimmerman. All along the way, all along the way, how many people came across the fact that this was a fake witness, that the entire, entire case was built on a lie? Locating this witness was the reason that the prosecutors felt they had a reasonable likelihood of success in prosecuting Zimmerman because they found this girl who was supposedly on the phone with Trayvon when the whole thing went down, only they, they didn't. They didn't find her. So this is going to be a real blockbuster. I'm going to tell you that if all these facts were reversed, but somehow it would be a benefit to the, a conservative, to a Republican, the media would, uh, that we, would, I mean, I'm just telling you, the media is going to squash this story. And that's my point. The media is going to squash this story. They don't want America thinking about how deeply damaging this fake hoax prosecution was to the culture and fabric of America. So this, this story will go on. I, I want to think, I'll tell you quickly, I, I'm really interested in actually watching this um, documentary, reading the book. This guy, in addition to finding out this just, just, you know, blockbuster fact, he also actually dug into Trayvon Martin's life a little more. Among the things were interesting, and I'll wrap up, he had one interview where he talked about this. And I'll wrap up this first five with this point. He said in an interview, the, this, film, this filmmaker said that when he really dug into Trayvon Martin, he wasn't the angelic future rocket scientist his parents thought he was, but he also wasn't this really bad guy, you know, uh, criminal type that many on the right said that he was. He was actually, he had been in a lot of trouble. He had been in a lot of trouble, uh, things involving like uh, reckless behavior, fighting, gun dealing, heavy marijuana use, been in trouble in school. But when this guy, this film right, was finished investigating this in the background more, he concluded that Trayvon Martin was actually a good young guy with a lot of bad things happening in his life. His behavior was kind of an acting out of things that had happened in his life out of his control, that he really wasn't a bad guy, but he had a lot of bad circumstances in his life that got him around to the, the conduct that he engaged in that caused so many to be critical of him. So he's kind of defensive, Trayvon Martin, not a bad guy, just you know, acting out based on the things that happened to him in his life. But this is a major, major story. This is going to be very interesting. You know, for example, is President Obama, who I, I faulted at the time, at the time, you, you, President Obama should have been saying, look, I'm sorry, an innocent young man was killed and this is terrible. My heart goes out to his family. My heart goes out to him and the, you know, the loss of his life. But everyone on the planet has the right to engage in self-defense. George Zimmerman did not have to let Trayvon Martin beat him to death. You don't actually have to let someone kill you. You're allowed to defend yourself, which is what all the evidence pointed to as, as what happened. You know, there was never the integrity or honesty among anyone on the American left coming forward to say, well, 
you know, maybe Zimmerman shouldn't have got out, in the car, out of the car, and that's true. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten out of the car that night, but once he did, and the things were set in motion, the, the uh, unfortunate killing of Trayvon Martin was an act of self-defense, which law in America protects. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I do want to talk a little more, though, about this Trayvon Martin case and just ask you all to consider how much it shaped the culture and fabric of our life since the time of this. Uh, this is just tore the nation apart. For example, you know, the case had the, the incident happened in Florida um, in February of 2012. There was a major march in Washington, D.C. called the Million Hoodie March. Trayvon's parents were there, other activists were there, demanding justice for Trayvon. And, and many people, in fact, I think in the clip we played, had Andrew Gillum and other left-wing activists tried to spread the story that Trayvon was killed because he was wearing a hoodie, that this was just you know racist discrimination against Trayvon because he was wearing a hoodie. We also had the New York Times invent a new category of ethnicity, which was a white Hispanic. Instead of, because they wanted so much for this scenario to be, you know, white man kills black man, or white armed man kills young black man unarmed, but the story didn't fit because Zimmerman is Hispanic. And so they made up a new category, a white Hispanic, just to push the racial narrative. The willingness of the left to push this racial narrative, to never give credence to the reality that Zimmerman had to shot Trayvon Martin in self-defense. This went, as you saw in the little, just the short clip, the teaser of the film, America suffered greatly in an ongoing way because of the schism, the tear in our fabric caused by not just this incident, but all of the left-wing activists arguing about it and talking about it and bemoaning it and, and claiming it to be representative of the horribly, deeply divisive, racial, racially divided country we live in. And this, this effort the American left uses over and over and over and over to divide America by race. They use stories like this. They manipulate stories like this. Use stories like this to make the argument that you see, look what happened. Trayvon Martin, this was terrible. Innocent young kid, uh, young, young black uh, man, 16 years old, I think he was, you know, was just walking down the street ends up ends up dead never giving credence to the facts in fact doing everything they can the american left doing everything they can to feed the narrative that america is a deeply horrible racist place that must be uh you must be part of the you choose your tribe and you must hate the other tribe and you must recognize how much hatred is out there this was an ongoing effort even up until this year and will probably still be ongoing but we had this year, there was in February this year, a, a was it nine year, seven year anniversary of Trayvon Martin's um, tragic shooting. All these presidential candidates there, Kamala Harris and others, lamenting and bemoaning uh, that, and they were, I, I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm very sorry the whole thing happened. I'm very sorry Trayvon Martin lost his life that night. I'm very sorry George Zimmerman got out of his car that night. But George Zimmerman had the right to defend himself, and that is what led to the shooting. And this is what you can't get the left to admit, because the left benefits from the racist narrative, from the narrative that says America is a deeply horrible racist place. Look what happened. Young man being killed for no reason at all, no justification at all. And then we got to the Michael Brown case, which we've been through several times in our, on this show. And if you don't know this story in very summary form, Michael Brown was killed, was unarmed, and was killed by a white police officer. Backing up from that, this, the narrative the left spun over and over and over and over was this whole narrative of the um, young black man Michael Brown putting his hands up, stopping and saying, don't shoot. 
when the eyewitness who testified last at the grand jury looking into that case in Ferguson, Missouri, a black woman sitting in the front seat of a car watching the whole thing, who didn't want to testify, who said, I, I never want to cooperate with the police. I don't like the police. I only came to the grand jury because I was subpoenaed. She said, Michael Brown never put his hands up. He never stopped charging the officer. He was charging the officer, whom he had already punched earlier in the day, same officer. And she said to the grand jury, that officer had no choice. Words to that effect. Michael Brown was going to kill him. And so, again, I get at this idea that the Michael Brown narrative, repeated and repeated and repeated in this country, is used by the race baiters of the American left, the race baiters who want to continue to plant seeds of suspicion, doubt, and division between Amer among the American people, between black Americans and white Americans. It is an evil mission and is very intentional. It's very intentional on the part of the American left to try to breed division and resentment and distrust between the races in America. The left sees this as a source of their power. It's why they do it. They do it because they believe they convince enough people who are perhaps vulnerable, who have not perhaps had all of life's blessings, who are, have had maybe a few bad experiences in life. And the left uses those to plant the seed in the minds of vulnerable people that they live in a country that is deeply, horribly racist, and therefore we had the, um, and, and therefore look at these instances they can point to, Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. I am not saying, folks, uh, obviously there are shootings that police officers have engaged in that were not justified. And we all jump and we investigate and we have, pro and we, if there is evidence or if there's a finding of wrongdoing by the police officer, we prosecute. I'm not saying all police officers do everything right. And I'm not saying there's no racism in this country. I'm saying the left, even on the part of police officers, on the part of people of all races and backgrounds, racism exists in the world. I am saying that the effort of the American left to paint America as a deeply racist country, rife and filled and overflowing with hatred, is a lie perpetuated by the American left to keep society divided and resentful and distrustful. It is a political manipulation for political power. And you think of all the incidents that flowed after that, the hands up, don't shoot. We had, you know, t-shirts. We had one of the NFL teams went out on the playing fields yelling out, hands up, don't shoot. We had the Million Hoodie March. We have, we, we have all of these instances in which the actual event did not justify the the what how the left characterized it that they said it was never evidence of racism we have these instances in this country and they are milked and manipulated by the racial manipulators in this country the the uh just and that is uh, if i have to say the theme of the show today is out the idea of we the american people have to stop being manipulated we have to call out the manipulators call out their game the truth is when you have false accusations of racism which which the left does over and over when real racist things happen they actually lose their punch in the news they lose their appeal people go oh yeah yeah another came of racism i'll tell you examples of what happened because of trayvon martin and michael brown we had the ferguson effect we had police officers unwilling to engage and protect community members because they're so afraid of being accused of wrongdoing. We had the Jesse Smollett hoax, completely cooked up lie by Jesse Smollett, a black actor, a, in fact, a black gay actor who in Chicago 
concocted his own assault, pretended, turned in, a, made a false accusation of assault having happened in a, in a neighborhood in Chicago in the middle of the night and claimed that the people who were assaulting him were uh, using defamatory, using, you know, grotesque language, defamatory language about his race and his sexual orientation, completely cooked up. Completely, he made it up to continue to perpetuate this, America is a terribly horrible racist place. This is an effort, was an effort by Jesse Smollett, which in some way magnified, continued the left-wing agenda to divide America along lines of race and to grotesquely exaggerate the problem of racism in this country. We're not a great, we're not a perfect country, but we are a great country, and most people don't engage in anything like what the left tries to claim happens. In fact, there was another case over the weekend. There was a former NFL player who owns a restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia, and he engaged in graffiti, messing up and, and roughing up his own restaurant facility, and then trying to claim, turning and calling and, and racist stuff painted on the walls, and calling the Atlanta police to say, "Hey, someone's in there." And the and you know, thing is, he didn't time it that well because the police caught him before he was even leaving the parking lot of his own restaurant and found all the equipment inside, like the paint that had been used inside his restaurant to paint the racist smears. But these things happen for you know what I don't know what this man's reasons were. I, I mean, obviously, you're a little bit messed up. You can do that to yourself, but it is a constant, constant effort constant effort of the American left to grotesquely exaggerate the amount of racism in this country to divide this country for their own political gain, for their ability to hold on with stranglehold onto the, uh, the black vote. And as a matter of fact, the story I'm turning to next, the same tactic is used by the leftists in getting and trying to hold on to the women's vote. You may have seen headlines over the weekend. There was a, a new book out, actually, related to um, this uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. And, you know, he says on the Supreme Court, Justice Kavanaugh, we had, a, I call it Kavanaugh Redux, I think. But as you likely recall, when uh, Justice Kavanaugh was going through the confirmation process in the U.S. Senate, there was a, a, a one main witness, Catherine Blasey Ford, who came forward claiming essentially that while she was in high school, this is like whatever it was, 36 years I think it was, before this nomination process, but she claimed in high school that this uh, Justice Kavanaugh, now married, three kids, been in, you know, been in public life in Washington, uh, been working as an attorney in high level positions in Washington, that he had sexually assaulted her in high school. You likely remember this. It was the Kavanaugh hearing was huge. We had on the show a month or more ago, uh, we had two women who authored a book about it, talking about how the whole Kavanaugh, uh, you know, the effort to make sure Kavanaugh could not get confirmed the Supreme Court had been cooked up by the left long before President Trump had even decided which candidate for the Supreme Court, he was going to finally nominate. The effort was set in place. The accusations were set in place. The, uh, the all the, uh, orga the organized groups that on the American left that just hate conservatism, hate President Trump, hate the rule of law, hate the Constitution. These people were ready to roll to attack whoever Trump nominated. Kavanaugh gets nominated, and you had you know the Blasey Ford allegations, and the whole nation had to watch. And her story, of course, completely fell apart. And I I'll tell you why I'm bringing this up today is that there were. Two, there are two women who are New York Times reporters, uh, New York Times reporters, and um, their names are Robin Pogrim, Pogabrin, and Kate Kelly. And 
the actually I'm assuming Robin is a woman I don't even know maybe it's a man but these two New York Times writers wrote a new book just out about the Kavanaugh um, confirmation process and, and all the you know all the different stories surrounding him back when Kavanaugh's nomination was happening once this this um, Blasey Ford came forward other accusations came forward too so the u.s senate doing their job investigates them looks into them and discovered hoax after hoax after hoax lie after lie after lie some of those women who made up stories about kavanaugh actually now are being referred for prosecution because you can't make up stuff like that trying to hold up a nomination you can't lie to the senate it's like lying to the fbi it's a crime so all of the accusations which the left ginned up against kavanaugh fell apart because was nothing to them so these two ladies, Molly Hemingway and, and Carrie Severino, brilliant authors, wrote this book. We had them on this case in this show, basically talking about all the falsity behind the Kavanaugh accusers and how once you looked into the story, there's nothing there. Because the left is so livid, that still livid, that President Trump won the presidency in 2016, because they are livid that he's actually exercising presidential authority and nominating conservative justices to the Supreme Court who are actually committed to following the rule of law, the attack, because they can't stand that, the attacks against Kavanaugh are ongoing. So now you have a new book, a book out um, by, as I say, these two reporters, Robin Pogobrin and Kate Kelly, the new book called The Education of Brett Kavanaugh and Investigation. These two clowns tried to pull up an allegation against Kavanaugh labeling it as true the new york times runs the story oh new allegation and terrible conduct and he did this it was from law school from his time at yale law school that at some frat party he apparently did something that was described of course as grotesque it was some gross sexual assault style thing however number one this very allegation had already been raised investigated and laughably dismissed even by the Senate Judiciary Committee that was determined, the Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee determined to find any reason, any basis to stop Kavanaugh's nomination. So this allegation had already been investigated, found to be completely baseless. Number two, the alleged victim, the woman allegedly involved in this thing that allegedly occurred at Yale Law School has said, to the Senate reporters, Senate investigators, to anyone she talks to. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't have any memory of that. That's her testimony. She didn't testify because she has nothing to say. There's, it was just a, she doesn't even know what the complainer is talking about. But the person involved, the third reason the New York Times might have thought twice before they ran their idiotic headline was that the lawyer involved in making this accusation this you know, new accusation against Kavanaugh was a guy named Max Steyer, who actually also went to Yale Law School. Obviously, this is an accusation from that time period. Went to Yale Law School, has been sideways with Kavanaugh for decades because they're not on the same side of the political aisle. And Steyer was actually involved in the defense of Bill Clinton and his Monica Lewinsky episode at the same time that Justice Kavanaugh was working with the Ken Starr investigation into Clinton. They've been sideways. They have been on opposite sides of these kinds of issues. In fact, many people in the American left 
perhaps including Max Steyer, deeply represent, uh, deeply resented that somehow that Clinton should never have been accused of anything related to Monica Lewinsky. They were offended that there was any prosecution at all. So, you know, this was a, uh, you know, kind of a, a burr in the saddle kind of thing between Max Steyer and Kavanaugh. You know, the idea that Kavanaugh was standing up for Ken Starr in the investigation and Max Steyer is trying to defend Clinton saying, so what if he fooled around with Monica Lewinsky? So they've been sideways on the very topic of, of sexual impropriety since the days of Ken Starr and Bill Clinton. So this guy, Max Steyer, that's the one coming forward with this new allegation which is not a new allegation at all. And the reason I want to go through that story was to say that, number one, by the way, if you buy the book by Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino, uh, you will discover that they covered this exact story. They went through this allegation, laid it all out to point out there's just nothing to it. The other thing is so interesting about this book. This is a, the new New York Times book by the two New York Times reporters. They're trying to, to essentially uh, come out in favor of uh, Dr. Blasey Ford, that somehow you know, they want to resurrect her reputation. But even they have to acknowledge. In this instance she said happened in high school, her four friends, Blasey Ford's four best friends, who she named as people who would confirm her story, all of them said, I have no earthly idea what she's talking about. All of them said, never heard of it. And another interesting thing happened this last week, and then I'll get to the point of this story, then one last story, but interesting in the last week is that Blasey Ford's father, so the alleged victim of Kavanaugh from high school, Blasey Ford's father apparently told Kavanaugh's father that he Blasey's father, Blasey Ford's father, supported Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court and was glad he got the position. Just think about that. He didn't believe his own daughter, obviously. And I raised this story again with the manipulation theme of today. We have the American left endlessly trying to manipulate people who are vulnerable, people easily manipulated, people who can be duped into thinking things that aren't true. So we have the endless racist narrative, the racial narrative, the reparations narrative, the America is a deeply racist place narrative. We have that narrative going on on the American left all day long. And it is for a purpose to seek political power. This thing, this trying to resurrect a new witness against Justice Kavanaugh is the same thing. It's the same thing. It is the idea that women are easily manipulable. Women can easily be convinced to believe things that have no connection to reality and get offended and get outraged and then agree to support the Democrats because the Democrats are standing up for them. This is nothing else but a power ploy, a political power ploy by the left to bring this story up again. And I'm telling you, the other, other quick thought about it, and I really want to turn to this last story because it's kind of the most amazing story of all today. But the one last point is a lot of speculation that, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, is not well. I mean, she, I, I, hope, I hope she's well. I don't wish illness, cancer, death on anyone. I hope she is well. A lot of speculation she may not survive through to the 2020 elections. And if she does need to leave the Supreme Court, there will be another opportunity for President Trump to nominate a judicial nominee to fill Ruth Bader Ginsburg's slot. This effort of the New York Times reporters to resurrect another false allegation, to pretend as a new story when it wasn't, is seen by many, including me, as continuing to keep the population, especially women, agitated, outraged, 
angry, frustrated, so that when a new nomination is made by President Trump, you'll have those leftists behaving in the same way they did during the Kavanaugh hearing, showing up at the Senate, pestering people in the cloakroom, chanting and waving signs and disrupting the proceedings. This is this effort of the American left and these two writers from the New York Times, this is just an effort to keep more Americans, especially women, agitated, frustrated, worked up into a tizzy over the treatment of women and sexual assault and the prevalence of sexual assault in this country. That's their motive. The one last story, I, I, mean, I actually thought about starting the show with this, and it's kind of an, it's just an amazing story, and it's, I'm, I call it the Minnesota Hustle, Equality, Not Forced Equity. I'm going to tell you folks, I'm working on another book, and over the weekend, this past weekend, the previous weekend, I had lengthy phone calls with women activists in Minnesota who are very concerned about a new effort ongoing and visible. You can see it on the ground in Minnesota, and it is an effort to push the use of the term of an equity agenda. And people hear it, they think, oh, equity, like, yeah, you know, fairness. That's not what equity is. Equity is an outcome term, forced equity in results versus equality of opportunity. And this huge incident is, is going down in Minnesota. I want to start telling you about it. There is a school district called the East Carver County Schools in Minnesota. They had a racial incident or two uh, in the, I think it was the spring of 2019. The school district in response, in fact, let me just play some of the clips. Well, I want to get, get in, play some clips of you to hear this story. But the, the quick point before we play that is this. These moms and a dad that you will see on this video, they are enormously brave. They are pushing against the radical left's effort to divide America, to divide a community, to divide a school district along racial lines and along religious lines. And I want to just, there was a, so these racial incidents happened and the school in response did some things that are rather mind blowing using taxpayers' money. So the very wonderful Matt, I think this is clip two. Yeah, clip, um, yeah, clip two, if you have that. Parents in Eastern Carver County have had some concerns with recent decisions made by the superintendent and school board. Decisions that have pushed a political agenda and caused division into the schools. In the winter of 2018 to 2019, there were some racial issues in Chaska High School. Vocal community activists formed a group called ROAR, Residents Organizing Against Racism, and protested to the school board to do something. They brought in a petition and called for the Chaska principal's termination. This petition began a series of events which allowed a toxic agenda into the schools, an agenda called equity. The man hired to be the director of equity inclusion is Dr. Keith Brooks. Dr. Brooks pushes equity, not equality. There's a big difference. Equity, by definition, means that students will not be treated the same. Some students will be lifted up artificially, while others will be suppressed and shamed, because equity strives for the same measurable outcome for all, which, of course, is unachievable given the basic differences in all of us. Brooks states in his own words that whites must own their supremacy, 
or they are dangerous. In his speech at EdTalk, Brooks professes critical race theory, a technique used to divide society into antagonistic racial groups that can be manipulated to create chaos and revolution. I'm telling you guys, your, the, not your tax dollars, unless you happen to be in Minnesota. Minnesota taxpayers are paying for the school district to respond to instances of racism. And I am not in the slightest uh, questioning those instances. There, there were things that happened that weren't right. The school has to do something. But to go to the extreme of hiring this guy, this true cultural Marxist, this guy who is essentially, if you listen to that whole speech, it, it would keep you awake at night. He's basically saying all white people must admit they're guilty of white supremacy, they're, they, and they, that you must understand that all of society has to be readjusted, recalculated, reformed around race, and this is the guy going to heal racial division. Parents who try to protest against the hiring of this guy, the agenda he's, he's involved in, are, are mocked and ridiculed. The parents who go along with this, the, who join that Roar group, who ended up being awarded by the school positions on this equity council, who are backed by Soros organizations. In Minnesota, this is happening. Okay, so this is the first piece of it, the Ken Brooks thing, the Dr. Kenneth Brooks thing. There's another piece of it I want to play quickly, and then we'll get to, we'll ha we're going to come back to the story a lot more on this show, but one more piece I want to play, clip two, or I guess that's clip three there, the very wonderful map. Yeah. Now. Dr. Khalifa is the man who was hired to do an equity audit, an equity survey, and to teach administrators in the district how to unlearn what they know. The process of unlearning that has to occur with school leaders in order for them to create space in their head. Shortly after he was hired, Khalifa's organization sent out three different surveys. One sent to parents, one sent to staff, and one sent to all students in grades 5 through 12 via email. The survey questions raised huge red flags. One of the questions was, how well, if at all, do you think white teachers in this school are teaching minority students? It was outwardly racist and divisive. Why are we making our children call into question one's color and to consciously categorize teachers and their fellow classmates by the color of their skin? These divisive questions pitted wealthy against poor, white against minority. There were also demographic questions that talked about whether a child was gender queer or gender fluid. Very personal information with very few security precautions. We found a white paper written by Dr. Khalifa called Islamophobia and Christian Privilege, What Educators Must Know. This paper is a blueprint for elevating the culture of Islam above American culture in the schools. He uses words like Christian privilege to shame Christians and white privilege to shame white children. This is all a part of equity. According to Khalifa, Islam is not a religion in the same sense as other religions like Christianity or Judaism. He tells us that Islam is a culture which encompasses their faith into their lifestyle and therefore cannot be separated. Because of this, in Khalifa's eyes, Islam must be allowed into the schools and certain accommodations must be made to make Muslims feel welcome. These accommodations include things like prayer rooms and foot washing stations and a curriculum that brings Muslim community members into the school spaces. All paid for by you, the taxpayer. Khalifa also serves as a senior fellow at the Yaqeen Institute, an organization run by Muslim Brotherhood and anti-Semitic individuals. Folks, 
that even that little clip i'm just urging you if you're watching right now and you're thinking i can't i want to watch more of this if you go to our website americacamitalk.org on the home page under shows go down a list of links you can there's a link to to uh, i believe to dr um both of those dr khalifa and dr brooks uh statements i'm gonna i'm getting to the close of my show pretty soon here i'm going to turn to why it matters to you but i the reason i want to include this story in today's show is this it could not be more important, imperative, for Americans in this time to be alert to the efforts of radicals in this country to destroy the fabric of America. You have to see these instances like putting a fake witness on in the Trayvon Martin case because we must perpetuate the headlines, the outrage, we must keep Americans of color angry, suspicious of their neighbors, resentful of their neighbors, seeing America as a country filled with racism. We can't look at the facts and be honest about them. We can even put on a false witness in a trial in order to perpetuate the America is a deeply racist, horribly divided country mantra. With women, what we, we saw with, with um, the defense of Dr. Blasey Ford and the left just determined to defend her even when none of her, the, the facts didn't add up, many of the things she claimed just fell apart, but the left was more interested in the agenda of the Me Too, men versus women, the country's filled with people who are victims of sexual assault, this is a terrible country, men are terrible, women have to band together and vote Democrat. The left is more interested in spreading that menu than they are on doing anything else, such as pursuing truth. In this Minnesota case, I say we'll come back to it many times, what this district is in the middle of is having the district, the school district itself, hiring two people to advise teachers, administrators, students, faculty, everybody in the school, their left-wing cultural Marxist, you know, critical race theory mindset, which is basically, you know, try to make critical race theory at some big elaborate thing. It's basically people saying, because historically in America, there has been a privilege among white people because, because of the history of slavery and Jim Crow and segregation, that we, that we must, moving forward, resolve all issues by discussing race, break it down along race, you know, have racial division in this country. These people, who were hired to fix the racial tension in that, in that school district are there to breed tension, to create it. This Khalifa guy, I, I'm gonna have around time, but I'm gonna bring it back another day. I've read his, his writing on what he thinks American schools must do to honor Islam. It is nothing short of the Islamization of this school district. And the parents trying to speak up, you saw in that video, are, are you know, swimming upstream against a huge effort on the left especially the Democrat government in Minnesota, to shut them down, to submit to this Islamization, to submit to this cultural Marxism. It's a battle for America, folks, and I, I'm so glad. If you're watching this show, I'm going to guess you're on the right side of the battle. Thank you so much for listening. I want to tell you why these stories matter to you. I try to do this every week. So why our stories matter to you? We have the very first story we had was America manipulated Trayvon. Just think, Trayvon's death was a tragedy. But it was emphatically not an incident of racism. George Zimmerman was not a police officer and he was not a white Hispanic. 
Trayvon loved his family and they loved him, but he was a troubled youth. The truth was that Zimmerman acted in self-defense, but Obama and his leftist cabal insisted on a prosecutably racially driven offense and they got it by prosecutors suborning perjury for a fraudulent witness. And Trayvon continued, do not forget what this Trayvon Martin lie did to America. Establish this narrative, America's inherently racist society. Encourage racial suspicion, division, fear, falsely. The lie of hands up, don't shoot. Jesse Smollett's fake hate crime. Georgia restaurateur's fake hate crime. This is what leftists do. Get this part. This is what leftists do. They lie about America to achieve power. On the Kavanaugh redux, this idea the Kavanaugh smear will someday be seen as equal to the Trayvon Martin lies. Blasey Ford was a liberal activist who scrubbed her own social media before testifying against Kavanaugh. Her lawyer admitted that her motive was to protect abortion. Her father, Ford's own father, admitted that Ford's motive was to protect abortion. I'm sorry, Ford's father confided to Kavanaugh's father. He was glad Kavanaugh was confirmed. So either Ford's father supports someone who actually sexually assaulted his daughter or Ford's father knows his daughter was lying. This latest New York Times smear book of Kavanaugh has been exposed by facts. New York Times had to retract their story. Finally, in Minnesota, hustled. Equality is the good thing. Forced equity, not. This is a wake-up call to America coming from inside Minnesota. A school district hired a director of equity to heal racial division who says all whites are guilty of white supremacy using his critical race theory. And he pushes a racialized society and cultural Marxism. School district contract with a Muslim equity advisor who proudly pushes Islamic indoctrination and superiority, mocks Christianity and white people in order to foster understanding and diversity, don't you see? Well-meaning, decent, innocent Minnesotans, mostly Christian, are sometimes duped by these Islamists, racists, and cultural Marxists. So they support this destruction of their culture. I like to call them SAS, the Surrender America Squad, or the PAC, the Perpetually Apologetic Christians. We need to inform and enlighten these people who are perpetually apologetic Christians. Equity is the new duplicitous totalitarian weapon of the left. Call it out. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I'd love to hear from you by email, americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Love having you tune in. Please like this Facebook page, subscribe on YouTube. I like to comment and respond when I can. I love having this show. It's just an outlet for me to just share with you and with America, people all over the world, the idea that, that the extraordinary ideas that founded America are worth defending. Or in other words, America matters. Talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you